Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to The Times. To find out more, head to thetimes.co.uk. Every goal, every game, everywhere. The Times and the Sunday Times, now with goals. Hello and welcome to The Game Podcast. I'm Gabriel Marcotti and I am so excited this week. Why am I so excited? Because Alison Rod has joined me in the studio. No, because she was here last week too. Is it because Rory K. Smith isn't here? Uh, yeah, maybe that's it. He's here, but he's not here because he's down the line. But we have Julian Lawrence in here, uh, which means the Euro quotient has just gone up to an even 50%. Coming up, we'll be talking through Manchester United and Sunderland, or Sunderland, as some people call it. FIFA, of course. Uh, I was out there in Zurich last week, but it wasn't that fun. We'll have our usual quick hits. But first, let's focus on events at White Hart Lane. Allison, let's start with you. Sometimes teams play well and lose because referees make a whole bunch of mistakes and the game just kind of turns against them and Hugo Lloris makes a really good save and the momentum changes and whatever. Is that what happened to Manchester City? Well, no, I'm sure that's what Manchester City would like to think what happened because there were a few dodgy decisions in the match. but <laughs> Just um, a few. Just a few. But I thought the most significant element to that result was I think we saw, not for the first time necessarily, but we definitely saw what a Pochettino team can do when it's working well. They seem to grow in pace and strength and attitude as the game went on. That's what he wants. He wants his teams to finish you know, in the 94th minute stronger than they started it. And you could see City wilt. They became a diluted version of themselves as the game went on. And, and maybe the decisions did knock their confidence or whatever. But that's no excuse. That should make you battle-hardened and make you want to do something about it. It was it was attitude and physicality of the home team just pummeling City out the way. Rory, should I go and make the spine argument, uh, which I find so incredibly idiotic, or should I just simply point out that Joe Hart, Vincent Company, and David Silva are probably three of City's four best players and they didn't play? That, that is obviously relevant, uh, and you've got to have a strong spine. Everybody knows that. You've got to get your players in behind. Don't have pace, you've have a strong spine. They need to show willingness to run in behind. It's, it's not about running in behind. It's about showing willingness to run in behind. That's what it's all about. That's the yeah. zen of football. Let's not forget passion. Got to have passion. Got to have more. Got to want want to win. Gab. There's a lot of teams that play out in games, especially in foreign lands. Where and communication. Just, just don't want to win. Well, exactly. For, we foreigners, foreigners, notoriously like to lose. But of course, it's also about communication, right? You need somebody talking at the back, and you can tell from watching in your little match of the day screen if people are talking to each other or not, right? Well, do you know what? Funny enough, I, I, I'm I'm now not entirely sure whether you're still being sarcastic. I am. But <laughs> yes. But the one thing I will say is that when you watch. I think I tell you the player who struck me with was Schweinsteiger this season. The very best players in the world talk an awful lot. Schweinsteiger at United, even I can't remember what, what the game was. He didn't play particularly well. You know, he didn't create any chances. He didn't have, you know, do this, that, or the other. But he talked 
constantly through the game. And I think that is that is the mark of a, a really, really quality player, maybe particularly in midfield. But on City, you're right, yes, three key players absent. I think Joe Hart, would, would if you put Joe Hart in, would it have made a massive difference? I suppose he might have stopped one of them. But the, the, the interesting thing with City is that for all the money they've spent this summer, should you be able to take three players out of their team and they be that weak? I'm not sure you should. I think they should have more strength in depth than that. They should have more kind of ability to cope with those losses than that. And it's weird that they don't. Were they that weak, Julian? I mean, I didn't think too much. I you're think saying Rory's wrong? No, 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 no. I understand. I obviously understand his point. I think the most important player in a team is is the replacement of a player, a big player missing. You know, and it's, it's, it's one thing that company Hart and Silva were not there, but the most important players were when the guys who replaced them. And I, I didn't think that those players, you know, played that badly. I think there was a lot of things that went against there, against City in that game. The referee's mistakes being one of them. Kevin De Bruyne, completely stupid, stupid, silly pass. One-touch pass at the end of that first half for the dire goal was just... I mean, Kevin De Bruyne, even the people who never watched him play, when he signed for City, I, were like, oh, the guy is amazing. I thought that was kind of overlooked at the Bruyne thing because it looked Completely. like it like everybody talked about that that absurd decision uh, with, the, with the Kyle Walker offside, but it's the last Completely. second. How you just give the ball away like that? There's, like, not, there's, not, there's 20 not seconds Caterina. to play. Yeah, to, in, in fairness to Cass, in our paper this morning, says, you know, talks about the pass, but there's, there's 30 seconds to play before halftime. You're 1-0 up away from home. Just kick the ball on the M25. If you want to kick the ball, but just don't pass it centrally like he did, you know, and, and badly passed it as well to poor Fernandinho who couldn't get, you know, even close to the ball. And I think De Bruyne has a lot of talent. There's no doubt about that. But he cannot make. Now he plays for a big club. Wolfsburg was fun, but this league was fun. Now he plays for a real club in a real league, and Ooh. he cannot. No, but you know what I mean. He cannot make. You can't make mistakes like that at that level. Alison, I was just thinking of the referees' assistants and some of the, the decisions that, that came in that game. And it was an interesting point, I thought, where it was Howard Webb speaking on television about saying that, oh, yeah, sometimes I know that my assistants have made a mistake and, you know, I feel like overruling them, but I, obviously I can't because you have to trust them. Is that basically the case that Plattenberg like, saw that this guy made an absurd decision at the end of the, the first half with the walker offside? And he says, like, gee, are you sure? And well, well, his responsibility, and he kind of passed it on. Or yeah, no, I think it's really difficult when you've got a televised game and millions watching in, as as Julian has mentioned, the best league in the world, and to overrule your linesmen. They bang on about how they're a unit and a team, and they have to build trust as as that trio, and they are not just relying on flags. They are talking to each other. The long term repercussions of someone like Clattenburg trying to scream, play on, play on, the lino's got it wrong, are probably too enormous for him to contemplate at that point in a live game, to be quite honest. In terms of the team things, they do operate as little kind of squadrons of referees and, and assistant, assistant referees sort of roaming the countryside, bands of brothers. Can one linesman be dropped? Or do they have to, yes, do they all have to yes. play together? I can answer that, yes. I've checked okay, on that, cool. it's happened before. But if you're um, the ref and that your linesman did that, and obviously that tarnished your whole performance, you never want to work with him ever again. The guy clearly showed he's not good enough. God, that is hard. <laughs> <laughs> but my, my, even my son said he's off. Surely he's offside. Everybody saw it. My mum would have seen that one. I can't believe. It's just. It's, now I've got an image of Plattenberg as Caligula going around just yeah. acting his henchman. You're but not it's good just enough. Like, you know the ability to know, forgive. It's, the, it's one of the worst. We've, well, it's the worst this season for sure. But wow, I, I think it yeah. was. 
Kai Walker started his run like at 8 o'clock in the morning on Saturday. Yeah. Everybody saw he was offside even before the pass, you know, left Harry Kane's boot. It was just... It was just crazy. I wonder if that was. I wonder if he was so offside because he was showing a willingness to run behind. But yes. um, anyway, that's a whole other With a lot point. Of passion. Exactly. Eric Lamella. Some of us like talented, skillful players, and some of us argue that you're entitled to your own opinions, but you're not entitled to your own facts. And when I heard people saying like Lamella's rubbish, I I, I just get very very angry. He managed to combine his ability with endeavor uh, and result. Right. So all's good, Allison. Right. Well. You're very sarcastic today, Gab. I, I, why doesn't he do that more often? That's the, that's the question. Well, it's not I've because... never doubted his talent. No, and every I, I'm, time I'm, I've seen not... him live, he's done something. He has not... done I'm... one thing that is very, very lovely and exceptional and shows that he is gifted. And then he drifts out the game or he looks a bit lightweight or a bit right. flimsy. Why doesn't he do that all the time? Julian, can, Lamella, can, can, can Pochettino unlock Lamella? Yeah, I think he will. I think he needed a bit of time. People don't realize that when you know when you arrive from from another league, another country, another culture, it's, you know everything is so different. It's difficult. Just third and, season. Yeah, no, I know. It took it took him some time, but you know, don't forget. You can't say that Spurs had been the most stable and nurturing. Exactly. Club. You know, in his time there, and same with you know with managers and players arriving, and him playing and not playing and playing again and not playing and not playing and playing, playing well but still then being dropped on the bench or things like that and I think it will take time but it's, it's that and I'm sure Rory and you Gab will back me up, it's, it's that thing about players like him or Riquelme or Pastore where people think like they all, they're so talented that people always want more and more consistency and more you know genius actions and genius acts of players, things like that but they're just so good that you need to be, to leave them a bit more time and, and as much freedom as you can. I think that's a really good point, Jules, that, that with players like that who we, we know are incredibly gifted, there is a price that they pay, isn't there? That you, they, they can kind of never do enough. So, I mean, Lamella's flitted in and out, obviously. Like he's, he, You see him play sometimes and he looks brilliant. Then he'll have to have a, either a quiet game or like a quiet half an hour or he'll do something really stupid or he'll forget to track his runner and he'll concede it all and everyone does, ah, he's so lazy. But players like that, I mean, he's, Lamella's not like Maradona. He's not going to run a game for 90 minutes. But then I bet, I'm not comparing it to him, I bet when you were watching Maradona, he didn't run the game for 90 minutes either. I think we build these players up in our imaginations and expect them to do things that, that can't really be done. And then when they fail to do them, we say, well, they must be rubbish then. There's no kind of, well, all right, he's very good, but he has his limitations. There's no, there's no shade of grey. And I think, that's, I think they suffer a little bit because of that. I think few clubs have uh, sort of regularly flattered to deceive the way the way Spurs have. They always seem sort of in, on on the cusp of doing something, and then they they finish fifth and and so on. And Roy, what do you think Pochettino's brief, or well, what's a reasonable expectation for Pochettino? I mean, would it be reasonable to look at him and say, "Listen, we expect this team to play to play well. We expect this team to to finish top four if one of the other teams that are obviously better than we are, or obviously have a bigger wage bill." If they falter, there's no excuse for not finishing top four. Would, would, would that be a, a a fair baseline to set for him? Well, I think I think for Spurs, like for Liverpool, I think fifth is par, just about. I think fifth and sixth are par, and that's probably where they are in, in terms of wage bills as well. It looks to me like Daniel Levy's maybe changed his approach a little bit, and they have calmed down on the whole kind of getting into the top four thing for the time being. They, they want to. They, what was the phrase they used about? Um, transfers in the summer, kind of pragmatic, practical, low-cost transfers. They, they're, they're trying to build something for the future so that they have a team to go into the new stadium that should be ready in 2018 that can then take advantage of that new stadium and kick on, and that's when they want to challenge. So I would hope that Pochettino, if they finish fifth or sixth, which I think they probably will do this season, 
if they do that, then he won't be under any pressure. They are, it's a young side, they're building towards something. You'd have to say at the moment that, that if one of the, the top four slip up, you'd probably say that Spurs are the best place to, to take the spot from them, wouldn't you? I think what's interesting is that finally this is Pochettino's team. For real, that's the players he wanted, you know, Son, Angie, that pace that I think, especially last season, that last season was missing. I think he's there. I think you see that this season the players have taken less time to digest his two training sessions a day, which is something that I believe he's the only one to do. But they work so hard at training and the Pochettino. Last season, it took them five months to really, you know, get to grip with it. This season is less time. And yes, they lost in the, you know, Captain One Cup against Arsenal in the derby, blah, blah, blah. But I think they still look much better than they were last season. Even if, if Harry Kane gets injured, I think they're in trouble. But that's another story. Alison, there were reports that the normally unflappable Manuel Pellegrini got a little bit flapped. You did something. the classic where you storm into the broom <laughs> cupboard and have to come back out again. Can you, can you please walk us through that? <laughs> I wasn't there, but I know how, I know the setup at uh, White Hart Lane. And if you go down the wrong corridor, there is a locked door at the end of it, and you have to come back into the press room. He had nowhere to go. He couldn't even storm out, realise he'd gone the wrong way, and then try and find a back way out. The door is locked, so he stormed out had to come back in. To his credit, he then spoke again, as I understand it. But he does seem to get incredibly irate very quickly. I I would have thought, if I were him, the attitude to have taken after this defeat would be to concentrate on the amazing start to the season, just how well it was clicking, to praise Spurs, to, you know, sometimes just being gracious in defeat, praising the opposition, having a little pop at the uh, decisions that go against you, saying you can see a lot that's positive uh, for the campaign in Europe ahead, which you know is going to be tough. He's he's a statesman-like figure in football. He should behave that way after a defeat. It makes you wonder just whether he feels under so much more pressure than we than we guessed he would be when he kept his job this summer. Well, moving on to the happier side of Manchester, United are top of the top of the league. It hasn't feels like it hasn't happened in a long, long time. Alison, do you feel like normal service is finally resumed and all is right with the world because United are top of the league? I don't know. I think it's quite funny. I don't know. I, I, it is funny. It is funny because well, funny they're how? not like well, ha ha funny. It's funny, yeah, funny ha ha because they're not. They're not. You're not good. They're not playing. There's more, every week it seems there's more to criticise about United, whether it's their formation, the tactical nows, individual performances, the behaviour of the manager, and the fact that they often seem to get quite lucky. And for them to be top, it feels on the one hand counterintuitive, given that we spend a lot of time slagging them off, really. And then on the other hand, you think, well, wow, there's a, <laughs> that's quite impressive that they may yet put right all the things we think are wrong with them and if they do that then they're going to win the title aren't they right do you do do you subscribe to to this theory because i mean or are you maybe encouraged by the fact that it seems that no matter how many games they win louis van Howe keeps coming out and talking especially after victories about how they can play better and how they can do better and how he's not you know they've got several more levels to go to that's a healthy thing, right? Well, it isn't. It isn't. It's the same thing as when when, when people always say, you know, the, the mark of champions is winning while playing badly. And I always think that the oh, mark that's of stupid. is actually to, to win and play well. Because if you play well, you're more likely to deserve to deserve. I know. To win. I agree with you there. That's that's stupid. But I don't think that's what Van Hal says. Van Hal says no, no. But no, but it's the same. It's the same kind of dilemma, isn't it? Because it is, it is encouraging that they are winning games and not being convincing. 
But then you wonder, right, well, so what's the true United? Is it, is it the, the team that's winning games? Or is the true United the team that's not being convincing and will they get found out eventually? It's hard to know what to think of them. I mean, it, part of me wonders whether we've all gone a bit overboard and what we were saying before about players like Lamella and, you know, we expect so much of them that whatever they do is kind of disappointing. Is it the same for United? Do we kind of expect them? Have we, have we turned what they were under Fergie into something even more and something kind of that nobody can live up to? Is what we're seeing a team that's, you know, if, if a team's consistently lucky, then after a while, that's not really luck. That's obviously something they're doing that's right. But then it's, it's I mean, the, the weirdest thing about United is that they win all these games and yet so often their best player is their goalkeeper. They are a flawed side. They do have some incredible players, but they have so many flaws that are so obvious. They don't often seem to be that much closer to solving them. And I'm sure Jules has got some fairly strong opinions on United. Singers. It's probably about a year since he called Van Gaal a fraud. But the, um, yeah, it's, it's really hard to know what to make of them. It's really hard to draw any conclusions. The only thing I'd say with any certainty is that they are the perfect leaders at this point in the season for this season so far. They're a flawed team leading a flawed lead. All right, since Roy finds it difficult to yeah. draw any conclusions on United, we don't need to go back to him uh, to talk about talk about United. Bye, all right, see you later. But, <laughs> but no, it's it. I, Julian, I, I'm interested in this. I, I'm sure you guys have all read Matthew Side's piece today about Sir Alex Ferguson and um, and sort of contentment and complacency and the important and how they, and the importance of striving. Uh, if you haven't, I recommend you all do. But how, how do you view this within the context of of Van Howe? Because He's always pointing out these flaws. Surely that's better than a manager who says, yuck, yuck, I'm top of the table, look at us, ha, 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 Martial this, and Depay that, right? Surely he's, by dampening the enthusiasm, that's the textbook thing a, a manager should do, right? Yes, and I think, I, th- I think you're right. I think he knows... And therefore know, he's not a fraud. He, oh, well, you know my love for Luis van Gaal. I still, I still expect more and want more, and I think we all do. <laughs> You know, from United, and he does as well. So you must know that things are not, he's not doing everything right and that the team is not doing everything right. I think he knows better than Matthew Syed, maybe, in terms of, you know, he, he would be lying if he was saying that everything was rosy and everything was great, because it's not. You so know, what I are think, the problems? I think Rory is can, right. Can you just, walk us through, can you, can you just, just, just tell us what the, the problems are as, as, as you see it? Yeah, in terms of, I think, I think he's fairly disappointed in terms of, of quality of, of the, the play. I think the style of play... I don't see much, much in there. I don't see much improvement since he came in. Basically, no, no, despite, I agree with that. Despite what's the, wrong with the style of play? Is it too slow? Is it yeah. too predictable? Yeah, I, I yeah. think it's too slow. I think I, I don't think you see enough movement for the players he has. I think you rely far too much on in, on individualities. But Depay and Martial are the kind of players who can provide movement. Is it a case that maybe they're just just young and it's their first season there? And yeah, and I think I think they need time. I think they need time as well to you know to settle in, even if they've they have done well already. But in terms of a, you know collectiveness, I think they need they need time to to play better with each other. And and you know I don't think. Even United fans, you know, are satisfied by the way they're playing because I think it's right to expect more than them. They're winning and, you know, they're top of the table. So, fair enough, that's great. But even if you don't seem convinced by my explanation, I think no, they, no. I think they, I think with the players they have, again, and the managers they have, they should play better than that. No, I, I, I actually am convinced. I mean, I think that is one of the, the things is that the players still aren't clicking with and, and doing what Van Hanessey wants them to do. My other personal concern is I don't know that you can win a, a Premier League with, with Dali Blint playing at centre-back I the whole agree. season. Um, but for example, just just sorry to interrupt you, but I spoke to Schneiderlin uh, last, well, at the start of the month with, with the national team and he was saying something very interesting. He was saying Van Gaal's methods are so difficult. There's so many things to remember. There's so many things to know. There's so many things to come across. 
a training session, everything is basically on half of a yard. And he said, there's so much on. And you can see when there's a substitution, Ryan Giggs shows, shows like the players coming on, like six or seven different sheets of papers saying like, okay, this is what you have to do. And this is, and this is. And, and Shannon was saying, it's so much to process that, you know, we all need a bit of time, especially the new players. And I think maybe that's why we're still waiting to see the best out of that squad and that team is because what Van Gaal is asking them to do is so complicated and so different than maybe anything else they've, they've known before. Now, Rooney, I, I didn't even realize this, but Rooney will likely end his career as United's all-time leading goal scorer in the league. And he just won a 1,000 minutes without scoring in the Premier League. These goal droughts, are they in any way relevant or is just some weirdo statistical variance <laughs> and we shouldn't pay any attention to them whatsoever, Alison? If he's, if he's not going to be the out-and-out centre-forward, if he's going to get his wish and, yeah, and but he's play been the behind... Out-and-out centre-forward be, mostly be, yes, I know, but if it, it, well, you're asking me how relevant it will be and it's less relevant if, that's, if, it's the, if the pressure is on him to get that, the goal that makes the difference. What struck me most about Rooney this season is he looks incredibly happy when he doesn't play terribly well. He just likes... With slightly withdrawn role, he, he likes playing that sort of number ten-ish. He likes the idea that he's going to set up goals, maybe maybe get on the end of a few as well. I think he thinks he's going to extend his career playing in that position. I think he knows you'll get enough goals now to, to to break all the records he can break. He's getting on a bit. He's a bit of a flat track bully, and I think he always has been. And if you analyse his goals for country and club an awfully high proportion, perhaps more than other strikers come against weaker opposition. And, you know, everyone illustrates his career with, like, lobs from the halfway line, but there's an awful lot coming off his thigh and his arse and so on. Um, but I, I think... I think I, but the crucial point is, I think his career will last longer than perhaps we might have assumed it would because of his happiness with being able to fit into the United team as it stands. I want to talk about Sunderland. I remember few clubs who just gone into the season with it's that time of the year your vacation is coming up you can already hear the beach waves feel the warm breeze relax and think about work you really really want it all to work out while you're away monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind when all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync Things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So much negativity 
so little belief. And then we joked that it's because, you know, Dick Advocat didn't want to be there and whatever else. And, and it just seems like every low expectation has been met going into the season. And it's becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, they looked for it, though. They, had, they, they bought Younes Kabul and made it captain. What do you expect then after that? <laughs> What's so wrong with Younes Kabul? <laughs> He's I know just, he's a favorite whipping boy of, of, of the English media, but <laughs> right. I, I don't understand. Like, I just don't think he's good enough for stop. And I, and I think he's that, not good enough to play for Sunderland, but he was good enough to play for Spurs. I don't think he was ever good enough to play for Spurs. And I, I don't think he's good enough to lead as a captain that Sunderland team not to get relegated. So if they wanted to be relegated, they got the right player. If they didn't want to be relegated, <laughs> I'm not sure they should have bought right. him in the first place. And then even less, made him captain. I think you know. I think they might stay up. I, I don't think they're far worse than others in that league. But like you're right, all that negativity. You knew, you knew that the start of the season would be like this. Well, I guess you didn't try and change the manager. That might work. They've tried that before with Poirier and with and it worked. Antonio. And it worked briefly, but then the, the effect rubs off. I think, the th- and it's really sad because Sunderland, Sunderland are, as much as it's a cliche, it's a big club, it's a proper club, Sunderland. And this is going to sound really harsh and get me in lots of trouble. What what are Sunderland playing for? And I think what what's kind of caught up with them and to Newcastle, with, to an extent as well, is what what is the purpose of their existence? What is, what is Sunderland's ambition? Is it to finish 16th? Because that's all they seem to be bothered about, and it's been the same, but worse and worse every year. And they're just caught in this this sort of inexorable drift. And I agree with you. I think. If you look at the players they signed, Lens is, Lens is fine, Lens is a Premier League player, Barini's quite a good player, you know, they've got kind of one or two others, even like when they signed Giaccarini, Giaccarini was a good player, and they all mm. kind of, well, you know, but do, do you know what I mean, for Sunderland, I'm not saying that Giaccarini's a world beater, but that for Sunderland, they, these, these are good players, these are good good quality, even Yunus Kabul, I know, I know what Jules means, that he's not, definitely wasn't good enough for Spurs, but I think Yunus Kabul is probably good enough to play for a team who wants to finish 16th in the Premier League, maybe. But do you know what I mean? Like all, they bring these players in, and it doesn't seem to make any difference because they're caught in this kind of sense of drift. That there's just a kind of purposelessness to the club, and I think that seems now. And it sounds it's one of those things that the kind of the number wizards really hate because it's about momentum and it's about something intangible, and you can't kind of say, well, you know, there's an XG of this, this, and that. They just seem to be caught in this this kind of existential drift that no one really knows what Sunderland are trying, are trying to do anymore. Least of all, anybody at Sunderland. And until that changes. I don't think they can get rid of it. I think that if they stay up this year, they'll be in the same position next year. And if they stay up that year, they'll be in the same position the year after that. You wonder whether maybe they... they it's, a, it's a weird logic. But do they need to go down so that they can start again? Moving on. Uh, so last Friday, I was in Zurich, excitedly looking forward to the post-executive committee press conference, having managed to uh, to hang out with a bunch of these executive committee members the, the night before in our hotel. It was... You know, I didn't think much would be decided, but I thought, wow, you know, FIFA is sort of this ship in uncertainty. And then it was cancelled, and then we found out that Seth Blatter has been uh, has been charged with criminal misappropriation, I think is a term. Michel Platini has not been charged by the Swiss authorities, but he's named in there for for uh, apparently receiving uh, a payment uh, from from FIFA authorized by Blatter in 2011 for work that he did nine years earlier. Uh, Julian, I, you like me, have done a lot of freelance work. When you invoice people, do you expect to wait nine years before you get paid? Do you remember those 50 pounds I gave you yeah, nine years exactly. ago? Yeah, yeah. Do you remember? So, so once again, I mean, they're both being investigated by the by, by FIFA's ethics committee now. Just a reminder, by the end of October, for the exact date, candidates for the FIFA presidency have to submit their candidacy uh, with five endorsements. 
uh, Prince Ali might be able to do so. Platini was going to do so. It's not clear now that he's going to pass the integrity check if he does so. It just seems there's just a massive void of confusion. And I don't want to get into the whole nitty-gritty uh, of this because it would probably bore a lot of people who aren't FIFA nerds. But, Allison, is, is there a way to make this to, to, to make this relevant to people? Or, 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 or let me put this a different way. When you see all this stuff going on and, and we have the indictments and does it make you hopeful that you know you need to suffer if you're going to improve and if you're, you if you're, you need to cleanse and and it, and it stings when you apply the rubbing alcohol or does it just depress you further right well if you want to make this relevant and interesting i want to throw it back to you gab because i want to know what the mood was like in zurich when you realized the conference was cancelled and why it was cancelled did delegates and the media shrug their shoulders oh, okay we, we this is happening too often now we, we, we we're meant to attend for one reason and we end up being at the centre of a, another story. Or are people are people whispering with theories? Are people excited? Are people uh, gossiping about what's really going on? Is there lots of information that's yet to come out that's being whispered about behind, off, you know, off the record behind closed doors? It was interesting the way it was done. So, so the way that this works is the executive committee, which is made up of, of 25 people representing the uh, six confederations, they meet over two days. So they met on Thursday, and they had the second part of their meeting on Friday. On Thursday night is a good opportunity. If you know some of these people, you can talk to them, kind of get a sense of the mood, what's going on. And at the time, there was just a lot of uncertainty of what would happen going forward. And, you know, there was talk of positioning and so on. And, and would Platini just kind of walk it to the election? They were lobbying hard. None of these people knew what was going to happen in the next 24 hours. That much was really, really obvious. In the morning, they completed the executive committee. The executive committee members, they all left, except for Zepp Blatter, who was going to stay to do the, the press conference. And then it was canceled because, obviously, he, he was being questioned by authorities. And at that point, you're in FIFA, which, for those people who, who haven't been there, FIFA, it looks like... a looks like some kind of leafy university campus because they have all these uh, football pitches and stuff all around them. They have this building that looks appropriately a little bit like the Death Star because I think it's there's there's seven stories to it and only two stories are above ground and the building's obviously you know just sort of dark gray almost black and then there's five levels underground and at the bottom level they actually have a meditation room stroke multi-faith prayer room which is also the stained glass and it's pretty spectacular it's it's hard to get access there, but if you know people, you, you know. So sometimes they, they, they do give tours and stuff. And you're out there, and there's all this media who've just found out. And it's interesting talking to the FIFA rank and file who are there, because people people forget. People are like, oh, FIFA's corrupt, FIFA's corrupt. But, you know, we're generally talking about the executive committee, whatever else. There's a lot of normal people who work at FIFA and do basic jobs. And, and they all look lost, because the only president most of these people have ever known has now been charged and will be gone in in, in in February. What I found was was quite interesting, talking to people there and our colleagues at the Wall Street Journal that wrote a fine story about this, is that right now FIFA's being run, or they put forward the theory, which been endorsed by some others, right now FIFA's being run by the lawyers. That right now the situation is so bad that this guy named Marco Villiger, who's um, FIFA's chief legal counsel, together with this um, fancy uh, American law firm they brought in, has basically said, all right, nobody move. Everything goes through us because the danger now for FIFA is that FIFA itself will cease to exist as an institution in Switzerland. Swiss, they're so worried about, what, about the Swiss authorities 
really going to the way FIFA has done business. I'm not talking about corruption and individuals taking bribes and Jack Warner and all this other jazz. So that's how serious it is. And Blatter's just simply on, on the sidelines and the lawyers are, are, are running it, uh, which, which I thought was a remarkable situation. Well, judging by Friday's events. That is fascinating. You've alerted us to what probably people suspected but didn't know, which was that they're, 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 they're a huge vessel, vessel out at sea without a captain and they're drifting and it could, it could, it could get rescued or it could just drop so off the edge of the world. I agree with Alison. I think that, that, is the, that is perhaps the most interesting five minutes I've ever spent in your company, Gav. Thank um, you. Although, admittedly, the competition was not that high. What happens if they do leave FIFA? If they do leave, if if it does leave Switzerland, will they try and find a, a new base? Do they, or what happens? I I mean I don't know. I mean there's there's no reason that FIFA needs to be in Switzerland. But the problem is is if the way FIFA FIFA set up, if that becomes untenable, then you run into then you run into an issue. And I think that's what they're working for right now. I'll quickly sum up the, the, the Platini situation for those who haven't read the, why there is so much suspicion uh, around this payment. Michel Platini used to be uh, a, Blatter, a Blatter ally um, in, in, in the late 90s and at the turn of the millennium. Uh, then, like a lot of people, he grew concerned about um, Blatter's behavior and, and whatever else, and he decided he was going to run against him. In 2011, he was supposed to run against him, and then he pulled out. And he cleared the path for Blatter. And we've always been told that it was due to an agreement. Blatter said, oh, look, look, Michelle, let me serve one more term, and then you can run in 2015. Now, it looks like, certainly on paper, this payment of, of about 2 million Swiss francs, about $2 million, 1.3 million pounds, seems incredibly suspicious because it comes from FIFA to Platini around the time that Platini decides to give to do Blatter a great big favor. And there's the nine-year delay in the invoicing for work that he carried out for FIFA before he joined FIFA, which seems bizarre. Platini had better come up with a very good explanation here, right? Yeah. I mean, his people have briefed us and, you know, people from L'Equipe and France Football all, all weekend saying that it's all legitimate. There's all the invoices. Is You know, they've, everything is in the account. There's no problem. It's not dodgy. Well, it is dodgy because you don't ask for £1.3 million pounds nine years later. You know, why Why at that time and everything. The issue for, for me especially is that Blatter, Warner, they mean nothing to football. They've never played the game. They, you know, they they run FIFA, but they... Platter played football. Yeah, right. Platini was, is one of the greatest players that's ever played football. And what's sad for me, and he, he, might not have, he might not have been involved in all the corruption thing and everything, and right now he's only a witness. I think it's important for yeah. us, you know, legally as well to mention it. He's no, no, done no, nothing no, wrong. And Andrew Jennings, for example, who's helped the FBI, the star, who's, who carried an investigation, he's a journalist, said that he's never found anything against, against Platini, you know, ever. He knows his investigation and everything. So right now he's only a witness, but still, his name is dropped in it. And what's so sad is that the guy will always be remembered now as being part of all this thing. Not that he was, you know, the greatest number 10 Juventus has well, ever had. He, he, cho- he, he kind of chose that when he went into football administration. He's, been, he's been in FIFA for, since 2002, right? Yes. So he decided, I'm going to become a, f- a football uh, administrator, and that's... For better or worse, that means you make enemies and, you know, you kind of put yourself in that situation. But the conclusion surely is now that for, for FIFA to recover, it has to be, someone has to come in from the outside completely. It's not, it can't the, be someone who's been connected with them for, for so many years, well, the, the, even if they're innocent. The, 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 they're tainted the now. Yeah. The tricky thing, Alison, is I think it's very difficult, partly because of the FIFA statutes. And, you know, you must have been in football administration for, for two years. 
And partly because to get elected, you, there are 209 member nations who, who vote, and they vote based on their own regional interests. So if you don't know these people, you can't go and, and strike a deal with them. And you're, the only way you can get elected, I mean, there's three or four power brokers within in, in world football. Someone, they're not all, even all within FIFA. You have to do a deal with them if you want to get elected. And once you're elected, you're beholden to them. So I think, realistically, the best we can work, hope for, actually, is for somebody to get elected who will immediately pass a lot of reforms, like the ones in the, in the Peace Report, which were all about transparency and good governance. And then from there, hopefully over time, the system can begin to, to heal itself. Right, enough of that. Time now to cheer ourselves up with some quick hits. Jose Mourinho says his team's first half performance against Newcastle was the worst he's seen at Chelsea. Allison, do you concur? And do you have any newfangled theories to explain it or, or indeed to explain the second half turnaround? Uh, no, it wasn't. So It wasn't a minus one performance anyway. Um, and newfangled theories, um, I think it's all about John Terry. John Terry played every game last season, uh, defied his age, defied niggling injuries, um, defied negative publicity, and he's not being picked this season, and it's made everyone else feel very old and very slow. Aha. Uh-huh. So, you see, Mourinho's the problem. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I am wondering at some point if Chelsea's bad performance, we're just not going to talk about them anymore, because <laughs> they're not going to be newsworthy. <laughs> now, our uh, old pal Steve McLaren uh, gets a badly needed point, uh, but Rory, please explain something to me, and I got into it with uh, former Liverpool legend Steve Nicol last night as well. With a score tied 2-2, deep in injury time, uh, it's like it was like the 95th minute, Newcastle were awarded a corner kick. Instead of taking it, they played it short and simply ran out the clock. Now, to me, it seems kind of like a stupid thing to do, um, and I'm happy to explain why, or if you agree with me, Rory, you can explain why. Well, it's a stupid thing to do, presumably because it is worth the risk of losing two points in the, or losing one point in the, in the chance of getting three over the course of the season, it does lack a little bit of ambition. But obviously at that point, Newcastle decided that a draw was quite a good result. Chelsea were on top. They did seem to be the more likely side to score a winner if a winner was to be scored. Uh, And the players, I would assume, possibly McLaren, I'm not sure, uh, have transmitted to the that that they maybe shouldn't risk the point that they got in the situation Newcastle are in. It's maybe not what I would do, but I can kind of understand it. Yeah, I I, I can't. I think it's just such an incredibly... It's just an incredibly wussy, wussy move. You're, you're sending the message that I think my players are so bad that if I deliver a corner, they're just going to march up the field and score. And by the way, one of the things, if you're Chelsea, you're going you're to be risk-averse as well, right? Because uh, a draw is not great, but a defeat is really, really, really bad if you're Chelsea. So Arsenal travel to the King Power Stadium and slam five past Leicester as Alexis Sanchez gets a hat-trick and Theo Walker does the business up front. Julian, in the eternal Theo versus Olivier Giroud debate, is Theo the answer? And feel free to cite that statistic, which I haven't checked out, whereby, <laughs> was it like 13 starts, 12 goals or wins or whatever? He's one of the answers. He's not the answer. And you've heard it first. This season, Alexis Sanchez is going to score 20 goals, Theo Walcott 15, and Olivier Giroud 15, and Arsenal are going to win the league. Now, I'm joking. But I think instead of having one top scorer with like, you know, I think they can all share that between the three of them. And I think that would work. Yeah, but, no, but only one of them can play up front. Yeah, right? but so does... would you do alternate Theo and Giroud? Yeah, exactly, yeah. 
I think I think Giroud is perfect for a certain type of games. I think Walker is perfect for other types of games. Against Leicester, away from home, you knew there would be a lot of spaces, and that was right to, for Walker to start. So Olivier at home, Theo on the road. Yeah, or, yeah, or at speaking. least for certain games, I think it would work. Southampton beat Swansea in the clash of teams whose name begins with S, and we're all supposed to admire and talk about how wonderful they are. Allison, you were there. Was it the right result? Because your pal Kuban seemed to suggest to me that he didn't play very well. He was so angry. I with mean, there's you. something about Ronald Koeman with a limp. And it's more it's it's more scary because he's not wearing a boot anymore to protect his um, ruptured Achilles. He's wearing a full suit, but he's so angry, he hobbles from his seat in the dugout to berate his players. He's angry at the beginning, he's angry in the middle, he's angry at the end, he's angry in the press conference. And afterwards I said to him, are we seeing the real Ronald Koeman? And even though he said, no, I disagree, we are. We're seeing somebody whose reputation is on the line. He almost has nowhere to go. He performed so well last season and he is trying to make sure he somehow drags Southampton to higher than seventh or something glorious. That's beautiful. Did that come over as yeah, well? Yeah, it's yeah. Just, it was really? beautiful. Yeah, it's beautiful. We knew you loved this, but that, there's was, a bit that of, was special. Yeah, no, I, I think it's like a surrogate. It's really Sammy Lee that you've got this special. <laughs> yeah, yeah, as well. I the, love yeah, Sammy too. the pair, yeah. Wait, was he berating them in Dutch or in English? <laughs> a mixture. Imagine all the hot for donners. Uh, Liverpool win 3-2 against Aston Villa, but Rogers suggests there are dark forces working against him, trying to get him out. Rory, is he right? And um, is there a shadowy anti-Brendan conspiracy? And more importantly, are you part of it? And if not, uh, who is? I don't think there's a, a conspiracy. I, th- I, th- I found a lot of Rogers' comments a bit weird. It's just kind of su- searching for a paranoiac explanation to something very obvious. Liverpool have won... Uh, five of their last 16 Premier League games, all of those five wins have come against teams who are either 16th, 17th, 18th and 19th in the Premier League or 12th in the Championship. There's no conspiracy. People are just aware that Liverpool aren't playing very well and aren't winning very many games. And when that happens, the manager can lose his job and there is speculation that he might lose his job and there are people who feel that he should lose his job. It is purely and simply what happens when you are not performing. So those people who feel he should lose his job... uh they're against him because yeah, you're either cons- with him or you're against him right that's, that's not a conspiracy that's just a, a sort of state of mind West Ham are held at home by Norwich 2-2 but they're still third in the Premier League uh, Julian everybody seems to think they'll slide back down the table but you know they did win the World Cup back in the day and they have some pretty special players like your pal Dimitri Payet uh, at least when he wants to be special uh, can they hang in there he's always special to start with and not they won't they won't hang in there in third place but it's refreshing it's good Slavin Bilic is amazing and and so is Dimitri Payet so they would have a very good season not that they would finish in the top four but I think it's good for English football to have to have them there who's less of a fraud Bilic or, pa- or, uh, or Van Howe <laughs> less of oh, Bilic less of a fraud who'd you rather have managing your team Bilic alright yeah oh, the every love, day the love the love, oh, the love. Uh, Gab question for you Catalonia had a de facto referendum for independence on Sunday why on earth does this matter to a football podcast well it matters because uh, the vast coalition uh, that are pushing for a referendum and for, for independence they basically they won and they won by enough of a margin although not in the popular vote but in terms of seats to get a referendum now if they get independent It'll be really interesting to see what happens football-wise, specifically to to Barcelona, because the reality is Barcelona will have to leave the Spanish league. They've they've already made this abundantly obvious. Uh, the the Catalan players who play for Spain will have to decide whether they want to play for Spain or or, or for Catalonia. 
Uh, and if Barcelona leaves the, the Spanish league and they end up playing in a little Catalan league with uh, their pals uh, Espanyol and Hospitalet and places like that, well, um, obviously they're going to lose points in the, um, in the UEFA rankings. They're going to make less, less TV revenue. They probably won't be as good because they'll be beating up on pretty rubbish opposition every week. I mean, there's broader questions about whether Catalonia will be in the EU and how long it'll take and so on. It, it's kind of interesting that, you know, for a football club that, that's been a symbol of, of Catalan identity and has had players who've actively even campaigned in favor of independence, you know, they would probably have to sacrifice some sporting success, at least in the, in the short term. Right, that's all we've got time for today. Many, many thanks to my guests today, the excellent Alison Rudd, the very talented Julian Lawrence, and the taller-than-average Rory K. Smith. Uh, please press that subscribe button. We'll be back next week. And remember, uh, are you, who's enjoying the World Cup? Yay. Oh, yes, you're, you're semi-Welsh. Of course you're enjoying yes. it. And so if you're enjoying the rugby, you can get uh, football, rugby, and cricket highlights part of uh, your subscription. If you sign up to The Times, it's just £12.00. For a 12-week trial, just search The Times online. Again, thanks so much to everybody who comes on this podcast. And uh, till next time, bye-bye. Your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times now comes with access to every Barclays Premier League goal. Refresh your app, choose your team, accept notification, and you're away. You're away.